It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. It's Reformation Day. Lutheran version of Christmas, I think. We should be exchanging gifts. <laughs> We've got a great program lined up for you today. I got the Reverend Bill Swirla on the line, and we're going to be talking about the 95 Theses originally, but we're also going to be spending quite a bit of time talking about a brand new 95 Theses. These are a new uh, set of Theses that challenge the excesses of American evangelicalism and the stuff that's going on in the Christian church. And uh, without any further ado, actually, let me pull up. Pastor Swirla, are you there? I sure am, Chris. Blessed Reformation Day. Blessed Reformation Day to you, too. Thanks for coming well, on, on the Halloween, program. Halloween, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, good... <laughs> I prefer the Reformation Day. It's, it's not quite as scary. It's Lutheran Halloween. <laughs> we all dress up like Luther and, or Tetzel and start selling indulgences, right? That's it. That, that's it. We'll, we'll have little purgatory plays going on. That'll be fun. <laughs> Well, uh, when uh, Luther nailed his 95 theses uh, to the door of Wittenberg, uh, the, the church there, um, he wasn't trying to start a Reformation, was he? <laughs> I don't know how you try to start a Reformation. <laughs> well, it's like uh, the Beatles song. You say you want a Reformation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the church door, St. Mary's Church, by the way, uh, uh-huh. was uh, that, that was the bulletin board for the town. You know, you posted all your notices of engagements and other kinds of things. So it wasn't actually, a lot of people sort of make it sound like some act of uh, vandalism or something. But uh, he was just doing what uh, any um, any professor who wanted to uh, um, basically have a disputation would have done, is he wrote some theses in Latin, posted them, and hoped that somebody would pick them up and uh, sponsor a debate. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kind of get the discussion rolling. They're they're really kind of discussion starters. What they are. Okay, so the idea that behind the theses is, is that they, these are sentences or, or or what's the postmodern term they use nowadays? Propositional truth claims um, <laughs> for uh, for debate and for discussion. So he and that was he was in an academic role at that point, wasn't he? A professor. Yeah, yeah, professor of, of, of Bible and theology at Wittenberg, and, and the disputational method was, was an honored method in, in the study of theology. Uh, in fact, the, the 95 are not the only ones, not the only sets of theses Luther wrote. He wrote, he, there are several. Uh, there's a, there was a Heidelberg, uh, set of Heidelberg theses the mm-hmm. following year, and uh, um, just any time you wanted to plague a theology student, you wrote some theses, and you, had, you just <laughs> had at it, you know? All right. So the way the Reformation spread then is is that uh, Luther went and you know banged these onto the door, it, you know, kind of in academic debate format, you know, basically calling for a discussion. And uh, some of the peasants there in uh, Wittenberg thought, "Wow, this is really cool." And somebody thought, "Hey, why don't we stick this onto a onto a printing press?" And 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 it ended up spreading all over the place. Yeah, well, two things: one got translated into German. So uh, that's your that's your first problem if you're worried about keeping the peace is uh, somebody uh, <laughs> somebody could read Latin and translate it into German, and then the old Gutenberg printing press got cranking and that was the kind of like the internet of the day and and uh, you could spread that all over the place and I think the result as far as Luther was concerned was far more than he ever intended when he posted those those were those were an intramural discussion and they became almost kind of a manifesto for revolution in some circles the peasants revolt and right like that but. well uh th- there was a new uh version of the 95 theses that circulated around the time that uh, issues etc had been canceled and all the brouhaha that had been uh that sprung about as a result of that 
And um, and so uh, taking the author, uh, whoever put these together, and deciding, you know, hey, let's take these off their door and bring them into the greater discussion what's going on in evangelicalism, uh, I thought it would be a really good topic for us to kind of play the role of the peasant uh, translating in this into uh, into English vernacular and putting it on the radio at the goal of propagating these uh, theses in the hope of causing more discussion and debate about some of the excesses that are happening in uh, in American evangelicalism. Yeah, you know, actually, I kind of like that in Halloween. We're, we'll just take the role of the peasants here and pick up, you know, pitchforks and lanterns and stuff and, uh, you know, just kind of go and hang out and talk about 95 theses. It kind of combines the two days really nicely. <laughs> yeah, but we, we need some we need some uh, Lutheran beer to go along with that if we're going to be good German peasants. Definitely. So, so yeah. <laughs> You know, it's funny, as I was listening to Issues Etc. earlier, and, and Todd Wilkins raving about some, some drink that he really likes that has, like, clam juice and tomato juice and Budweiser all mixed up in one. I think he's just fallen off the turnip truck or something. That's... That sounds almost unhealthy. <laughs> he claims it's the best adult beverage ever. So, and he's trying to convert everyone over to his cult. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I just finished up uh, five gallons of a very nice dark Newcastle-ish uh, ale, and and uh, bottled... by finishing up, you mean you finished producing? Producing, that's right. I uh, uh, not drinking, producing. Producing, that's Got it. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, in one in one whole setting, I had five gallons of you know. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I I brew my own. You may beers. need some of that for election night. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the Messiah Obama will be uh, christened or uh, crowned. Oh yes, <laughs> greeted like the second coming. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, that's a different show. <laughs> okay, all right. So looking at these ninety-five theses here, um, you know it. Uh, it, it and, well, now where are these? These are are these up on your site? Now? I, you know, yeah. What I did is I I, I hijacked them from a website called Save the LCMS, and I put them together and I threw them up at uh, FightingForTheFaith.com. So they're there at FightingForTheFaith.com if you'd like to go there and follow along. And what I'm doing for the podcast listeners is I've actually put together a PDF document of this of these new 95 theses, and they'll actually be able to down that that PDF will download as part of the podcast. So the the, the audio file and the PDF are two different things. So we're we're using our our our, our Gutenberg press here to uh, to pass around the new 95 theses so that people can take a look and discuss these things. Well, this is kind of like the Gore Press. Didn't he invent the Internet? So so, so this this takes Gutenberg, just it, it kicks up Gutenberg another notch. Right, Al Gore. On the internet. Right, Al Gore invented the Internet, and thanks to him, you know, we don't have to use as much paper, and the, and the planet <laughs> won't warm as quickly. Oh, well, I, I took the liberty of actually printing them out, so I've wasted, what, five five sheets of paper here to, to look at them. But, uh... <laughs> well, it's it starts off with, with uh, it looks like uh, Theses number 1 is the exact same thesis uh, that uh, Luther starts off with. It says, when our Master and Lord Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed that the whole life of believers should be one of repentance. It, that's, that's Luther's uh, thesis, isn't it? Yeah, to my memory, uh, that, that's verbatim uh, thesis one of uh, Luther's ninety-five, and, and you know it points out that that is the core issue of the Reformation is the nature of repentance. Okay, so um, so that being the case, number two says to repent means to be contrite for one's sins and to trust Jesus and solely in His completed work for one's forgiveness, life, and salvation. So, uh, what's uh, uh, it, all right? Fill me in on a little bit of what's the biblical view of contrition, and what does it mean to be contrite? Well, 
You know, it looks like here, um, if, if I was going to interpret this, it, it looks like repent is being used in what we would call a wider sense. Okay. And that is that it embraces both sides of law and gospel or, or contrition and faith. So, so contrition would be recognition of one's sins in view of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it might entail sorrow, but don't get too emotional about this. It, it's just simply a recognition. It's, it, you're affirming the laws, speaking the truth, says you're a damned sinner. Right. And, and, then, and then faith or trust in Christ and his, uh, his completed work uh, and, and all that he's done for our salvation. So, so those two together comprise... Uh, uh, repentance. You know that Greek word metanoia. That, that, this is what got this is what got the medieval church in so much trouble because the the Latin was translated do penance, mm-hmm. and and you know, that gives you something to do. So so to repent is to do acts of penance. And, Yikes. and So you know that's just, that just went went nuts. Uh-huh. All the way to buying indulgences and all this other stuff. But but uh, but really the the Greek metanoia to 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 uh, to have a change of mind. Uh, to, in other words, to, to have a radical change of thinking, or, or in the Hebrew, shuv, to turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a 180-degree turn. You, you were going one way, now you're going another way. You, mm-hmm. were, you were locked in on yourself, now you are turned out of yourself toward God. So, it, so you know, the, the contrition faith, I think, comprises uh, the, the full 180-degree turn that, that is implied in repentance. Okay, so uh, contrition could could mean some sorrow for that, and repentance really means a change of mind. And as you said, uh, really acknowledging that we're rotten sinners. Um, yeah, you know, our Lutheran confessions say to to be contrite is nothing else than to confess one's sins. Uh-huh. So, so it's not even re- you know it doesn't involve necessarily an emotional response, but it's simply um, it, it's basically echoing the truth of the law back and saying yes, I I, I am a, a sinner through and through. Right. So, uh, so then, if it doesn't necessarily involve emotions, but it, it can involve emotions. I mean, quite frankly, when I hear the law railing against me, I I get a little all shook up inside. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to pinch yourself to see if you're still alive. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny though is over and again I've played many sermons from uh, purpose-driven and seeker-sensitive pastors here and reviewed them here on Fighting for the Faith, and one of the common themes I hear in their presentation of the gospel is. Um, we got good news. God loves you and has a great purpose in store for your life. And if you just uh, make a decision for him, then he's going to help you in your finances, going to help you with your marriage, is going to help you raise your kids healthier. It's, he's going to help you with your sex life. And, and, and so um, one of the things that, you know, when I look at that presentation of the gospel, I don't really hear the biblical gospel, and I don't hear anything that would cause me to change my mind about myself. It kind of keeps me in... in, in, in in a self-focused state. Yeah, you know, I think you're more the student of this. You sort of immerse yourself in, in, in all of this. I, I don't have the stomach for it. You know, it's like I, I can't even watch uh, Christian television or listen to Christian radio. It just it, it makes me crazy. But but uh, the, the little that I do do hear of it, it there's either no notion of contrition whatsoever or contrition is something that happens once when you, you realize how dreadful your condition is and you decide to be a disciple of Jesus and let him into your heart. And, but that's it. And then from then on, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a life of improvement, of, uh, of uh, you know, discovering your purpose in life, of, of uh, using the Bible as a practical or relevant guide for 
you know, whatever part of your life you think needs working on. But, but it, the, the whole notion of contrition and faith is left totally in the background. Right. And if, that, if it's left totally in the background, then that kind of begs the question, are we dealing with a correct and true a biblical uh, presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or is it, is it uh, suffering through uh, uh, omission, you know, some important parts? Well, you know, when I'm looking through these uh, these 95 uh, theses here, when you start getting getting down, you know, after the two that we read, mm-hmm. you, you start to see things like, uh, and, and this is this is good. Uh, it, it talks about relevance, self-help, pop psychology of no power to work true condition contrition over sins and faith in Christ. Right. Uh, you, you know, in, in other words, if if your focus is on 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 um, self-help and self-esteem and and all the other stuff. You're 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 actually just appealing to the old Adam mm-hmm. in many ways, I, I think, and and so so there's 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 no sorrow or contrition over sin. It's just basically I've got a problem that needs to be fixed, mm-hmm. whether so, it's you know a health problem, a, a wealth problem, a sex problem, whatever you know. Right. Well, that you know, then what happens is is that the Bible just becomes a manual for living, and Jesus is kind of like the the, the guy you go to for good uh, wisdom and advice on how to fix things. So let, let me read a couple more of these. It says, this is number three, those who describe the Christian life as purpose-driven deny true repentance, confuse the law and the gospel, and obscure the merits of Christ. Number four, impious and wicked are the methods of those who substitute self-help and pop psychology for the gospel in the name of relevance. And <laughs> this is these, this is definitely hard-hitting. The, this impious disregard for the gospel wickedly transforms sacred scripture into a guidebook for living, a Pharisaic source book of principles, and sows tares among the wheat. Wow! So it it sounds like uh, you know whoever put these together is basically claiming that it, the uh, purpose-driven, seeker-sensitive guys are actually uh, causing division within the body of Christ. Well, and misusing the scriptures, I I, I think too that this is this is. Um you know, it, it really causes you to think because because when you disregard the gospel or when you create another gospel, um, then then it doesn't. You know, the big argument all the time is, oh, we're just teaching what's in the Bible. This is biblical teaching, mm-hmm. but it, it totally neglects the fact that it's biblical teaching only insofar as it's Christ-centered teaching, as it's focused on uh, either Christ or your life in Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, and but if it's a it's a Christocentric kind of thing. And so, you know, this is utter, this is this is quite correct. The Pharisees could say that their teaching was biblical, and and Jesus just just nails them. Right. Well, what did Jesus say to them? He says, "You diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life." And so, uh, you know, the Pharisees you couldn't accuse them of not knowing their Bibles. They probably knew the Torah and the and the prophets backwards and forward. Yep. Um, and yet Jesus uh, basically said, "These are the very scriptures that testify about me." And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So Jesus even puts himself in the center of the scriptures and basically says, you're looking in these, into the scriptures and you know your Bible because you think that in them you have life. But uh, it, what's, you know, it makes me wonder what the Greek word there for life is. But, you know, but so, I mean, just because you're reading the Bible doesn't necessarily meaning, mean that you're reading it in a way or teaching it in a way that exalts Christ and finds Christ in the scripture for us. Well, you know, the Book of Romans, I think, uh, especially the first, uh, you know, five, six chapters of it, is precisely about that. Uh, and that, that is, is the Torah, 
you know, the books of Moses, and, and really the Old Testament. It is, is the Torah a Torah of works, or is it a Torah of faith? Right. And, and Paul grew up with the Pharisaic tradition. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he knew they were the biblical principles guys, 600, guys, 613 do's and don'ts. It summarizes the Torah. You do this, and you have life. Right. And, and Paul says, no, it's a Torah of faith. We uphold the Torah by trusting the promise. Right. You know, and, 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 and to, the, to, <laughs> to the hearers of Paul, the, the, the Pharisaic hearers of Paul, this was radical. Mm. They, they utterly rejected it. They said, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and yet there's the irony uh, the same thing is done today in the name of Christianity. It says, never mind justification, never mind Christ dead on the cross for your sins. You know, that's all important, that's the foundation, but the real Christian life is basically a Torah of works, is discovering in the Bible the principles and the purpose for your life and, and doing that. It's, it's basic Pharisaism 101 all over again. Right. It puts the emphasis back on me and the things I need to do, and I just need to go into the Scriptures to find those things so that I can get busy and get to doing them. All right, let's see. Uh, by teaching, uh, this is number eight, by teaching tips for attaining perfect health, debt-free wealth, and better sex in marriage, the purveyors of relevance undermine true fear, love, and trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are enemies of Christ who distort the Word of God by tearing verses from their original context in order to use them as proof texts for their self-help pop psychology agendas. <laughs> Well, that's been your stock and trade, hasn't it? I, I don't mean doing that, but exposing that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, right? You know, it's like play a snippet of, of some Bible class or sermon or something and then say, say, okay, let's stop. Now let's look that up. Right, exactly. I was uh, The other day I, I did a review of uh, the latest Saddleback uh, fad uh, Bible study they did. They, high School Musical 3, the youth uh, guys over at Saddleback put together a High School Musical 3 Bible study. and. <laughs> I, d- I didn't know it was about the Bible. I, you know, what's funny is, is that we, my daughter had one of her friends spend the night, and her, her friend d- doesn't attend a church, and she's not a Christian young lady, but she likes High School Musical, and she actually had gone on Saturday to see the movie. And I asked her, I said, would you be interested in the High School Musical 3 Bible study? And she says, what's that? <laughs> and I said, well, it's a Bible study about High School Musical 3. She's all, the, that, the movie doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. <laughs> Well, you, you, you were telling me before we got started here, you, you had the Blazing Saddles Bible study. This that, is uh, correct, and you know, yeah. I've been told that if I had actually worked for uh, other radio stations rather than owning my own, that I would have been fired for playing that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but going back to my point, in, in the in the High School Musical three Bible study, they uh, you know they've got that passage from Jeremiah, you know, that basically where God says, you know. I, the plans I have for you are to prosper you and all this kind of stuff. But when you read it in context, it's not, it's that, you know, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and all this kind of stuff. But when you read it in context, it's not written to a general audience. It's written to the exiles in Babylon. You know, right. you put it back in context and all of a sudden this isn't promises for me. And yet they you, they rip it out of context and then they apply it to everybody. And see, see, God has wonderful plans for your life and he wants to prosper you. How does that make you feel? <laughs> you know. Well, if I if you know if I just ripped it from con- you know out of context, I'd think, wow, God's this great guy. He's he's all for me. I I, I need two of those gods. But uh. <laughs> you know, I remember. You remember that it was really fashionable. Uh, I guess during Lent, maybe last year, to have these sex series. Things. Oh yeah, everybody was doing one. Mm-hmm. There are even some so-called Lutheran churches doing these these uh, these 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 sermon series on sex. Right. You know, it's huge. It's huge. And, and I, I recall somebody saying, I think I watched in one of his online videos where he's talking about, he says, 
well, you know, Jesus constantly talked about sex, and 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 I, I was struggling. <laughs> I was trying to think. I, I was trying to think of you know, except possibly of of you know the passages concerning adultery, right? And not even looking. Um, it didn't sound like he had a whole lot to say on the topic. You know? uh, exactly. And well, Rick Warren, you know, he did a sermon series on finances, and he said that Jesus talks about money all the time. And I'm thinking. Really, you know, so Jesus is like the next E.F. Hutton, but most of the time when Jesus talks about money, it's in these parables, the parable of the coin, the parable, you know, and so in the parable of the talents. I mean, he's not giving you advice on how to manage your money. I mean, right. so, ay, 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 you know, it makes you wonder, you know, do, do are these people trying to twist God's word? Are they just ignorant of God's word? If they were actually to read the book, you know, in context, would they make such absurd statements? Well, you know, I actually, I, I think that, that there's a combination of things in play. One is, one is, it really is a matter of interpretation. That that, you know, if you if you just have to find it somewhere in the Bible, just get the right sort of catch word, or it uses the same word I'm using. Therefore, it's biblical. You know? Right. And that's that's text as pretext, mm. and you see it happen all the time. It, it's a common preacher's malady. You know, the preacher has this idea that the congregation's really got to hear a message on something. So he knows ahead of time what he wants to tell them. Now he's got to find some Bible verses to support them, because they're not just going to listen to his opinion. Right. And so the text serves as a pretext for what he already determined he wanted to say. Right. And I think these guys play that game to the nth degree. Yeah, they do. What's funny is, is that reminds me you know, of a funny story. My kids, you know, I, I travel out of town on business from time to time, and uh, at our dinner table we read the Bible when we're finished uh, eating. And my kids were ratting on my wife, and they said that every time that I go out of town, that my wife will open up the Bible uh, to the passages in Proverbs that talk about kids obeying their parents. (laughs) 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 They told on her. (laughs) I'll tell you my favorite proof text, you know... um is is I, I, I'm kind of at the tail end of the baby boom generation. So you know, in high school, I wanted to, I was one of the, the sort of the hippie wannabes. You know, too young to go to Woodstock, but old enough to have seen the movie. Uh-oh. And and uh, so everyone wanted to wear their hair long. And my dad was just really against that. He was just all over that. And uh, mom used to trundle out that verse from First Corinthians about how long hair is a shame to men. Right. You know, and there's that picture of Jesus just hanging there. You know? <laughs> 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 it's like, uh. <laughs> well, <laughs> You know, I just I just love Bible arguments like that. You know, just, but 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 again, and I think that's what happens when you put little numbers in front of every sentence too. Right. Because it really invites this. The, whereas those are just reference numbers, so you can get there quickly when you're talking, and you know that's in all kinds of classic texts. But but uh, but it, they don't mean anything. Correct. They're just they're just there to get everybody right to the same place. And but boy, you start numbering them, and and that's it. That, that isolates every verse, and so long as it uses the right word in whatever translation. We'll do it for you. You ever notice how how people will fish for English translations to get it to say it the right way? Oh, and I see that all the time. And and when you're fishing for something that kind of starts with me and is about me, then the message paraphrase is like the is the one they always end up gravitating towards. Oh, the message, you know, I love Eugene Peterson. I mean, he, he's one of the great pastoral writers of our day. Uh huh. But <laughs> but <laughs> I wish he hadn't have done that. Yeah. Except one, I have one exception though. The Proverbs. Oh, okay. The Proverbs and the message. I mean, he he, in some weird way, he nails it. I love what he does with the Proverbs. But you know, the Proverbs are a collection of sentences, so you can you can have added in there. But but, right. but anyway, 
Hey, uh, you know, I'm looking ahead while you're talking here, and, okay. and I, my, my eye is drawn to the seeker business, because we hear a lot of this even in our circles today. Seeker-sensitive stuff. Yeah. And, and I'm kind of jumping to 14, because we're never going to get through 95 oh, today. Oh, of course but, not. But, but, uh, but, but check this out. The true seeker of men's souls is our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save the lost by his death on the cross. Right. So, now, there's a proof text. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I came to seek and save the lost. Uh, um, the truly seeker-sensitive church proclaims God's wrath against our sin and his mercy for Jesus' sake. Now, there's a provocative statement. Right. Uh, normally, we associate seeker sensitivity with kind of being in tune to, you know, the emotional makeup of the hearers and kind of baiting and switching them gently into, you know, they're, they're kind of averse to religion, so we'll kind of, you know, we'll have boxing night or do something cool and, and <laughs> flip in some Jesus talk at the end. That, that's considered seeker sensitive. <laughs> Whereas I think this nails it, you know. Who's right. the seeker? Jesus. What does he do? Uh, he, he comes to to basically take the condemnation of sin in his own flesh, die a bloody death, rise from the dead, save the world, you know, basically say, trust me. <laughs> That's right. He, he, <laughs> That's G- seeking. <laughs> well, if you look at Romans 2 and 3, you know, it pretty much rules out the us being seekers. Um, you know, no one seeks God. No one trusts. All have, you know... All have abandoned you know, their throats are open graves. That you know, all that talk from you know that's Paul quoting the the Psalms, and you know, and if, if we really understand that Jesus Christ is the seeker, and if you want to be seeker sensitive, then that means you have to put the focus on Him. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if anything, the church is the seeker. You know, it's seeking to make disciples by baptizing and teaching, right? Uh, but to call to call sort of the aimless wanderer a seeker. Because yeah. they don't know what they're seeking, right? I mean, we by nature we don't know what we're seeking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that always comes out when you know you, you share the gospel with somebody and they go, "Well, the God I believe in would never do something like that." Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's funny. The God you believe in doesn't exist. Um, yeah, could could be, could be. So, all right. So we got the seeker talk. That's right. Uh, the truly seeker center of the church proclaims God's wrath against our sin and His mercy for Jesus' sake. Therefore, the preaching of Christ crucified is a stumbling block to purpose-driven pragmatists and foolishness to church, church growth consultants. <laughs> a little First Corinthians paraphrase there. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, but, but, you know, the, I, I think that's true. When Paul says to the Corinthians, you know, he says the Jews want miracles and the Greeks want rhetoric. And that's right. I come preaching Christ crucified. Nobody wants to hear that. Right. You know, I got, I got an email from an atheist the other day who just, you know, basically said I was a complete fool for believing in Jesus. And I said, I absolutely agree with you. I said, the this, this story is completely preposterous. Yes, not only a fool, but perhaps a madman That's, on top of it. Right, exactly. I said, think about it. We got we got Jesus Christ, who claims to be God in human, in human flesh. He's born under very suspicious circumstances. Oh, yeah. Grows up in a backwater region of the Roman Empire in poverty and obscurity. And is crucified as a criminal, and I, and I make the claim that this guy is is actually God in human flesh, and that his death on the cross uh, propitiated God's wrath and atoned for the sins of the whole world is absolutely a preposterous story. You're right. And he emailed me back and basically said, "I don't know what to make of that." <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. Right. You know, let's face it: if you and I were making up a religion that would be palatable to the modern ear, right. it wouldn't be this. No, the, the, if we were making up our palatable one that's palatable, I think it would look a lot like Joel Osteen's. Uh, he's got it. Yeah, I mean he he's got it. Uh, it 
and there's a little bit of preaching to the choir with him, though, because aren't, aren't isn't most of his constituency already pretty rich? Uh, that I don't know. I don't know the demographics of uh, of the people who attend his church, but I mean, we're talking, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking over forty thousand people showing up on a Sunday to his. Uh, he seems to be doing pretty well. Yeah. All right. So moving along here, the next thesis is number seventeen. And it's talking about the gold of the church, and um, this is one where I, you know, where I would actually like a little bit more guidance from you, because I think this is stuff that the, the, the language here is something that you would actually be a little more familiar with. It says the true gold of the church is the most holy gospel and the glory and the grace of God. But this treasure is a stench in the nostrils of fallen and sinful men because it exposes men's complete lack of ability to save himself in his own relig- by his own religious efforts. On the other hand, the fool's gold of self-help is preferred by sinful men for it creates the illusion of moral progress and a life that is pleasing to God apart from repentance. So so the true gold of the church is, is, is the gospel and um, he, this is something that, you know, I've been trying to find a way to distill this down into the easiest way to get it. When, you know, when people talk about sanctification, they somehow equate that with moral progress. I know I'm being sanctified if I'm progressing morally, but it seems like in my experience in Christianity, the older I get, the more I study God's word, the more I understand what God's law really demands of me, the more I realize just how wretched I am and... and I don't really feel like I'm progressing uh, in a positive fashion. In, in, in fact, the older I get, sometimes I feel like I'm progressing in the wrong direction. <laughs> well, actually, in truth, you are progressing. Uh, you're a little younger than me, but let me inform you that uh, your progress toward the grave is proceeding nicely. <laughs> uh, you, you, are, you are dying. Uh, you're all dying at the same rate. Uh, some of us exhibit our death a little bit more than others, but... but uh, um, I'm not so worried about progression or, or that kind of thing because because from a chronological way of looking at things, uh, there there is a notion. Our confessions talk about progress and sanctification, but here's the deal, um, and I think Hal Sankbile nails it in his book Sanctification: Christ in Action. Mm-hmm. This is not a progression on our part toward the positive. Um, this is a progression in our part toward death. Oh, that is that is as we die, as we daily die we more or less get out of the way so Christ in us can be who we, you know, so that, so that our identity is more and more the identity of Christ. Huh. And, and so yeah, I think the key, if I'm looking at these theses, and, and I think, I think this, is, this, is, this is subtle, but I think it's a good point, that it's, it's not the progression part that's under, under the microscope here, but the self. Self-help. Mm. Or, or, you know, this idea that, that, that you, can, you, by your efforts, can create moral progress and a life that's pleasing to God. It's actually, whenever we make our efforts, we get in the way. Hmm. And, and what needs to happen is we need to die, <laughs> and so that Christ may rise in us, so that our mind be fully conformed to the mind of Christ. So that's how Paul can say, I know that in me that is in my flesh there dwells no good thing. Right. And yet he talks about with his mind he serves the law of Christ. Right. He, say, he calls himself the chief of sinners, yet he says he upholds the law through faith. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so the more it's about Christ, the less it's about me, the closer I am to being who I actually am in Christ. You see, so progress isn't bad so long as you, you view it from two perspectives, from the perspective of Christ, it's all complete. Right. Even as we speak, you're, you're fully holy. Uh, but from our perspective, uh, you know, hey, until you die and rise, 
uh, you're only going to perceive this holiness very dimly, if at all, at times. Like you say, most of what you see is just rotten to the core and getting worse. Right. And and I think that's as it should be, because because the minute you see something that looks like yours, you're going to grab onto that and make a religion out of it. Yeah, that's... It's yours. That, well, right. And then I think about Christ, you know, and the sheep and the goat judgment that he gives in Matthew 25. The sheep, you know, he, he's sitting there praising the sheep for all these incredible things they've done. They look at him and go, well, when did we do that? You know? Right. <laughs> right. They have to be filled in on the details. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're... You know, the beauty is, what's the judgment? The judgment is the left and the right, and that's based not on what they did, but what they are. Right. From sheep or goats. That's right. You know? And sort of the unasked question in the parables, how exactly does a goat become a sheep? Because <laughs> I want to be with them. <laughs> exactly. And Christ is the one who transforms goats into sheep. He's the one who <laughs> raises people from the dead spiritually through the proclamation of the gospel. Yeah, goats got to be born again. You've got you to gotta do this all over again. Because yeah. uh, a yeah. natural-born goat can only, can only be a goat. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be born again as a different species. Yep, so, there you are. All right. Well, Pastor Swirl, we're going to take a quick break here. And... Um, and and uh, when we when we get back, we will continue on dis- our discussion on the nine the new ninety five theses. If you would like to email me, you can do so at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, and we will be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh, sacked the choir, and put damn. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll I'll come in again. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian shirts. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? 
You want to say what the bit about our cheap weapons are? I I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know, I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do chief ex- weapons are our chief weapons are um, purpose. Uh, uh, vision. Okay, and okay, stop, stop that, stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick, read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're innocent. innocent. Ha! 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 <laughs> ha! We'll soon change your mind about that! Alright, we're back. I wasn't expecting a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. I am Chris Roseborough and I am your servant in Christ. Dishing up a daily dose of biblical discernment. Listening to what is being taught in American Christianity and comparing it to the Word of God. Today we're discussing... A new 95 theses. I've got on the line uh, the Reverend Bill Swirla from Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. And we're uh, two peasants today on Reformation Day taking down the uh, the new 95 theses and spreading them using the Internet to uh, encourage discussion and debate along these lines to discuss the excesses that are occurring in American Christianity, compare it to the word, word of God and Figure out whether or not what's going on is biblical or if it's not. So, Bill, you there? I'm I'm there. That that uh, that Inquisition thing is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I listen to it, I just crack up. Um, by the way, I got to get a shameless plug in for the God Whispers. Oh, I am the I am one of the two whispers of of that highly acclaimed and uh, and <laughs> and oh. irreverent. Uh, a uh, show on the- theology and whatever else comes to mind there on on your station. That's right, on Pirate Christian Radio, the God Whispers. You, you guys have a pretty active thread there on the Wittenberg Trail, too. <laughs> we call that, you know, there's that, that big ball of string somewhere in Iowa or something that, that somebody collected, like, uh, I think about 20 feet in diameter, no, more than that, probably about 40 feet in diameter. Oh, man. And, and, and this is this is just a thread that goes on endlessly about uh, nothing, and, and uh, it, it's great. It's, we offer prizes every few thousand posts, and, <laughs> <laughs> okay. It has a life of its own. There we hey, go. Well, during the break, I was reading through. Uh, this, uh, I was reading ahead here, and uh-huh. and, and um, there's a really good little thread uh, that goes um, that starts where we're talking about the true gold of the church and the fool's gold of self-help. And, right. And this, but there's a good little thread. I think I, I would go through um, say DCs 25 to 30. And, okay. and they're short. I'd like to just read them because there's a kind of a, there's a nice thread that that runs through them. All right, go for it. it says uh, purveyors of relevance claim that self-help's life applications and biblical principles are the means to reach the unchurched because they meet people's felt needs. 
yet a person's greatest need is one he does not by nature feel. See, that's, that's exactly what we were saying. Okay. Namely, the need for the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, we have lots of felt needs, but that's the one thing we don't by nature feel. Right. That is the need for an alien righteousness, something not our own. I, I, I think that just nails it. 27, the true means by which fallen sinners are reached is the preaching of Christ and his sacraments. Mm-hmm. 28, the true need that mankind is seeking but does not know is justification by grace through faith for Christ's sake. I think that's why, um, that's why it's a misnomer to call uh, people who who call people who don't believe seekers. Right. Because they have no clues to... They're, just, they're in the dark. They're like the blind man before Jesus opened his eyes. You know, there's no clue as to what they're even looking for. Mm-hmm. Since justification is through faith and not through works, natural man neither seeks it nor desires it. Therefore, and here's the rub, the teaching of justification by grace through faith is neither seeker-sensitive nor relevant to a world that naturally seeks self-justification. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that number 30, I think, l- nails it right on the nose. Wow. <sighs> so I, I, I like that. I, I, I like that, that progression there, that, that uh, in the desire to be seeker-sensitive, uh, the church that has in mind the seeker and not the gospel utterly fails. Right. And and instead, it, it's a case of the blind leading the blind, or it's just it's it's even crueler than that. It's like sticking your foot out in the in the path of a blind man oh. and tripping him and and saying, ah, you know. And whereas what what should be done is 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 people need to be pointed to Christ, right? And and the cross and mm. and and uh, drawn out of themselves and away from self. You know, I I, I kind of you know think through it like what I consider a very terrible scenario and one that breaks my heart. Of you know the person who responds to their local mega church's marketing uh, uh, pieces and and goes to that church and believes that they're being taught Christianity and and they die and end up facing Christ's judgment. He says, "I never knew you. Depart from me." I mean, and that person just being completely baffled because there they had attended church and. And thought that they were, uh, you know, doing the right things in order to be saved, and they they completely missed Christ. And and you know, their 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 pastors and teachers, you know, have some responsibility in 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 where that person ends up at that case. You know, I think you that's know, a terrible thought. When Jesus painted that that picture of the "I never knew you" and 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 uttered that line, it was to the religious teachers. Right, and and do you remember the context? Because because the, they they are standing there, uh, you know, at at a, at a at a moment of judgment, a crisis, and they credential themselves with their religious works. Yeah, you know, did we not do oh, miracles right. in your name? You know, did we not do this in your name? Cast out it? demons and man, they were the you know they they were the cream of the religious crop, doing all these things in his name, and he says, I don't know you. Right. <laughs> And and that's where that kind of credentialing of works and self-justification leads. Right. And Jesus um, says the prostitutes and the tax collectors are getting into the kingdom before you. Yeah, that'll get you crucified if you start talking like that. Or you'll <laughs> so. lose your radio show one way or the other, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 not, it's not good. I'm not seeking to be relevant here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that, that it goes on here to, to kind of look at this whole business of growth and numbers. Uh-huh. Um, and you know the American business is is learning where un, unbridled growth leads you, <laughs> right? You know, uh, straight into recession. But uh, um, I, I fear we're probably coming into a spiritual recession. You know, where where our 
<laughs> our credit's going to be no good here in, in short order. Right. Um, but, you know, this idea, I'm going to focus on 34. It's a therefore, and, and you know, I mean, so we're skipping over, but therefore, check this out. Even if a congregation through their own marketing methods and business prowess were able to draw 100,000 people every Sunday, if the gospel is not heard, the sacraments are not administered according to the gospel, there is no church. Wow. <laughs> And the true Church of Jesus Christ has not grown by a single soul. That's controversial, and I, I'm going to say I completely agree with that. Numbers are not the measure of whether or not God is 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 working in a congregation. Yeah, I think if I hear how many do you worship on a Sunday one more time, I'm going to, I'm going to go apoplectic. I, oh, I'm not yeah. going to be responsible for my actions if, if I hear that question. Well, um, and, and see, numerical growth is the measure by which everyone determines whether or not God is blessing a ministry. I watch these uh, these church planters and these guys, you know, these purpose driven guys, and I go to their conferences, I listen to their sermons, and the, I listen, I read their blogs, and you know, the, the, there's one particular star among them. His name is Perry uh, 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 Stephen Furtick. This guy a few years ago didn't even have a church and now he's got a church of like three or four thousand and he's been like one of the fastest growing churches in the country and now he's being asked to come and speak at these these ginormous conferences where you know you got you know you got twenty thirty thousand people in attendance who want to hear what this guy's doing and I, and if you just listen to the content of his sermons this is the guy who beats people over the head if they come to church with the expectation they're going to be fed the word of god <laughs> Oh, I think I heard. I heard you do do a thing on him. Yeah, you know, it's basically just 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 tearing into people for for coming to be fed or something like right. that. You know, yeah. just, <laughs> it's like they're a bunch of spiritual gluttons or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, actually, it goes on. These are great. If numerical growth is a measure of God's approval, then we must conclude that God approves of Islam and the Mormons. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> If financial success is a measure of God's approval, we must conclude that God approves of pornography and gambling. <laughs> <laughs> hey, those are huge. Those are, what pornography is going to be a five billion dollar industry in the U.S. next year. <laughs> Thirty-seven sounds like something that one of my teachers could have said. Is is uh, Ken Corby? Maybe this is somebody's channeling Corby. I don't know. Cancer and crabgrass both grow rapidly, as does the church that obscures the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's beautiful. What an interesting. You know what is cancer? Can, cancer it's 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 native cells gone wild. Yeah, it's unchecked growth, unchecked, undifferentiated growth. I, I like in the Bible, Paul talks about. Uh, I think it's in Corinthians, First Corinthians, where he, where he talks about the growth that comes from God. Mm-hmm. It's almost there's a qualifier. Not all growth <laughs> is godly. Right. You know, Baalism was wildly popular in Israel. Yep. Okay. <laughs> that's that's the thing. that yeah. that just cracks me up though. Pornography pornography and uh and 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 gambling are, are a, a measure of God's blessing there. Because man, they're they're prospering wildly. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Oh man. Okay, um number 38's interesting too. It says the purveying of purpose-driven relevance is the theology of glory and the preaching of Christ crucified for sinners is the theology of the cross. Can you Real quick, can you just unpack uh, what's the theology of glory and what's the theology of the cross? Uh, yeah, well, this, is, this goes back to L- Luther's Heidelberg Disputation of 1518, uh, the, those terms. Uh, and, and it's a little hard to, a little obscure there in, in the way Luther does, does it in that disputation. But basically the idea is that if you can see it or measure it or, or apply some human criteria to it, you know, in other words, you can tell 
you can tell you're succeeding because there's some tangible measure of it. That's considered a theology of glory. Mm-hmm. And, and that's set against the theology of the cross, where, where, and, you know, Christians misunderstand this, too. You ask them about Good Friday, dead Jesus on the cross, Jesus breathing his last, hanging dead, a corpse on the cross. Is that his victory or his defeat or apparent defeat or whatever? And you'd be surprised at how many Christians think that's sort of like an apparent defeat. Are you serious? And you know, the victory is Easter Sunday. He oh. rose from the dead. Uh-huh. But, but uh, that's, totally mis- that's, that's totally misshapen. Easter Sunday is the visible evidence of the victory of that dead Jesus on the cross. Right. You know, when he said, this is finished, that's an act of triumph. He's done. Right. He's well, accomplished it. Well, he, he, not only that, he's, got, he's, he's wearing a crown of thorns. And so, in a sense, it's like a coronation. Well, you know, and John sort of runs amok with this because everything they say, they, they mock him, and everything they say is true. Uh huh. <laughs> you know, he saved others; he couldn't save himself. <laughs> yeah, that's what he did. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how everything they yell at him, everything they throw at him, they they mean it in derision, mockery, and it's all true. He's king. He's you know, he's all of this. But but see, the theology of the cross would basically say that that any successes of the kingdom cannot be seen, that the, the kingdom on this side of the resurrection looks like the cross of Jesus. Right. And only in the resurrection, only in the, 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 the appearing of Christ in his glory, will the cross give way to glory, or the cross will be seen in its glorious light. And, and uh, you know, the Revelation notes that, because he, he, the, the Lamb that appears in the Revelation is the Lamb who was slain but lives. You never, you never leave out the death right you know yeah you know so yeah this is this is kind of a this is this is an old lutheran distinction running and and it's true that that um if you measure the kingdom in terms of buildings or people or dollars Mm -hmm. that is a theology of glory Mm -hmm. and and uh, how much of all the stuff that you talk about on on fighting for the faith is precisely that it's theologians of glory yeah right and course you know being a theologian of the cross you know I, I you, you always feel like kind of like the odd man out um let me read a couple of these the theology the theologian of glory says that the kingdom of god is visible now in buildings people dollars and the theologian of the cross says the kingdom of god is an article of faith so going back to what you said <laughs> you, yeah. not necessarily visible the theologian of glory asks how much and how many the theologian of the cross preaches christ regardless of how much or how many the theologian of glory prepares people to receive Health, wealth, and happiness. The theologian of the cross prepares people to suffer and to die in faith. That's a that's a cool statement. You know, I mean, I, I've told people that 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 uh, you know, you, you may you may actually not get anything for the week out of Sunday. You, you come to church and you and you hear the word of God. You receive the body and blood of Christ, and and in many respects, it's the same old, same old. And it it may or may not be of any help or use on Monday, mm-hmm. but. Each of those, each of those events, those saving events of hearing the word, receiving the sacrament, is 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 a is a preparation to die in Christ and to rise in Him. You know, right. I'd say it's the people, the people that have have lived, uh, that that have have you know breathed this and have lived this out, and and then come to the end of their life, they're they're actually they're they're squared face up with their mortality, and they get it. You know, and they, and they say, you know, you've prepared us for this all these years. Right. We, this is it. You know, it, and it might not have been relevant on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday of that week, but uh, when the doctor says, uh, there's nothing more we can do for you, 
Uh-huh. You know, then all of a sudden it becomes very relevant. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I used to attend your church a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, one of the things you wanted me to sit down and do with you was to plan my funeral, and I thought you were nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, build your coffin, too, if you're yeah, up to woodworking. <laughs> good night. I've never had a pastor saying, you know, Chris, you know, you're a young, strapping young fellow, but you know what? We need to sit down and plan your funeral. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not very relevant. Um, but it makes perfect sense. And funny enough now, you know, from time to time, my wife and I talk about, you know, what, what, what do we want our funerals to be like? You know, what hymns do we want sung? And, and in some ways, as silly as it sounds, I'm, I'm looking forward to that last liturgy that I get to participate in as a corpse, you know, <laughs> That's a, there's some liturgies I've been in where I wish I was a corpse. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it, it, it's we're in a death-denying culture, right? And and uh, and I've noticed this in these 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 so-called churches that, that are your main target, that that death is not something talked about. No, well, here in Orange County, I don't even think you're allowed to die because I, you know, finding a cemetery is pretty difficult to do in South. Yeah, no, or- where where do they bury people in Orange County? I've wondered that myself. I, I think they do it out behind the dump. I mean, I'm. <laughs> You're joking, but I'm not sure how much of a joke that is. Right. Yeah, boy, that's a real downer to suburban life to have a cemetery, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, it it, it just it it just does it clashes with the Pinkberry next door. (laughs) I'm not going to enjoy my frozen yogurt if I got to look at headstones. What's this about? Right. You know, know, doesn't go and go to Starbucks and Jamba Juice, and you know, I don't need to worry about that. Man, we were back in New England on vacation. Was walking through old um, old cemeteries, you know, where you could see like headstones from the 1700s, 1800s. Right. Man, that that those 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 people those those people squared up to death. Yep. Uh, you could see it the way they engraved their gravestones. You know, you, you had some serious confessions there. Right. Um, you know, very interesting. But but no, we uh, yeah, our, 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 even our gravestones are flat. Can't see them from the highway. Yeah. Because you got to be able to mow over them with power mower. You know, can't can't. <laughs> don't wanna... <laughs> oh my. Oh, my. Okay. It is a Luther one forty four. God is sta- not not a, a thesis, but this is this is Luther. Uh, God established the church to be a mouth house of forgiveness. That's straight out of Luther. Mm. Not a madhouse of activity. That's right. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that's, uh, I'm gonna put that in my Sunday bullet night. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember when I took you and Borghart and uh, and the gang up to Saddleback? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. uh, do there you, are pictures to prove it. That's too. right. We, I, we, we had the higher things folks uh, come out here, and uh, we we did a, a what a day long meeting with you guys, and then at the end of it, we took you up to I took you up to Saddleback because you guys had never seen it, and you and Sandra Ostrup Howich and and Borghart and and Marcus Zill, and um, when we were driving up to the campus, did you remember seeing the people that were that were part of the uh, the health and fitness group that were outside exercising and stretching and. <laughs> You know, I'm thinking, wow, the Saddleback Church is also a uh, is a health and fitness center. Oh yeah, no, I, I saw that. I was feeling particularly out of shape too at, at that <laughs> point. You know, and thinking, you know, when was the last time I did any exercise? But, but yeah, yeah, and 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 looking good too. I I, I have to admit that that uh, that I, I wish I wish I had that one guy. I wish I had his barber. <laughs> I, I, you gotta, you, you know, the, I, I really admire people that exude success, right. <laughs> or at least at least appear to be successful. Uh, you know, 
that's my problem. I think I don't. I just revel in failure. So it, it's a it's a a mouth house of forgiveness, not a madhouse of activity. Right. I, I remember a Doonesbury one where, where you know there's that 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 guy in the clerical, one of the Doonesbury characters. Uh huh. And and uh, and and he was going over the weekly calendar, and there's you know this support group and that support group and this thing going on, and somebody just chimes in from the back pew. What about worship? <laughs> and I was well, that's been postponed this week. <laughs> right. Well, have you heard of those churches? Uh, there's a whole new campaign uh, where uh, th- th- there's a small group. You know, the, the whole churchwide campaign with small group materials, and it's like a 40 days campaign, but it's not put out by Saddleback. And at the at the the culmination of this campaign, uh, they actually shut church down on a Sunday so that people can uh, can be the church instead of go to church. And so they actually send out. Uh, uh, marketing material. I got a postcard from one of our local congregations that did this, and it, it the postcard literally says, "Don't go to church," and you flip it over, it says, uh, "Come be the church with us as we do these activities." And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me! You know, th- this is a very bizarre distinction that they're setting up. So they they've canceled Sunday uh, worship services and the hearing of God's word so that they can go out and be the church, and that means helping you know fix leaks in the roof of the homeless or something like that yeah that's a, that's a really odd sentence be, to be the church i mean the the church i mean the church well what is it what does it mean to be the church it is to be in christ i mean the church is is uh you know it's 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 our unity in christ and and the, the church is the only the only way you ever see the church is is when it's gathered around the word and the sacrament right. you know that's the only visible manifestation of the church that there is um, uh, what 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 the church does when it's scattered is actually rather subversive. Okay, how so? Well, I mean, you, you know, okay, you and I, you and I, we go out and we um, we build some houses for habitat for humanity, right? Right. Okay, so there's Chris with his hammer and me with my my worm drive power saw, sort of you know hacking away at it. To the outside observer, is there anything uniquely Christian about what we're doing? Uh, no, I've seen this all before on uh, on you know tool time. Yeah, now it's a perfectly Christian activity to to help you know to build homes for the homeless. It, you know, it's it's one of the you know to the least of these kind of things. But there's nothing uniquely Christian about it. Right now, now you know, get to Chris and Bill again uh, in divine service, hearing the word of Christ, having their sins forgiven, eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ. Is there anything distinctively Christian about it? Uh, yeah, from beginning <laughs> to end. Who else is doing that? And so, so you know, and, and that's precisely the point. The, the the scattered church, the church scattered in the world, is really quite subversive. Uh, you know, the priesthood of believers is a is a that's an underground agency, right? And and God is slick about that too. You know, he just he scatters his priests all over the place. So they're in laboratories and warehouses and. They're they're all over the place, and and you never know where they're going to pop up. Right, it's like that uh, parable of the yeast in the in the in the in the really big large batch of of uh, you know dough that yeah. you, you know the woman kneading it. You know, I mean, yeah, and and a tiny amount of yeast leavens a huge volume of dough. Right, you know, and and so yeah, this, or salt of the earth. You know, the the earth is not this block of salt. It's <laughs> you know, God has sprinkled his his uh, his Christians his. Uh, his priests uh, and and season the earth with them and and uh, but it's very subversive. If you in fact, if you see salt crystals floating on top of a dish, unless it's a pretzel, this isn't a good thing. <laughs> you know? Right. 
But well, ah, it pays to read the Bible once in a while. What can I say? Um, there you go. Hey, let me let me read number 48 real quick. The mission of the church is not to transform the world, but to disciple the nations by baptizing and teaching. Cool. You know, what's so funny is, is that, you know, I, I hear these purpose-driven guys over and again talking about how to make the world a better place. And, um... And have, have they never read that the whole thing's going to hell in a handbasket in the Revelation? <laughs> well, the emergent guys, they've kind of got a, like a dominion uh, eschatology going on where things are supposed to get better and better through some kind of a, a, a thesis, antithesis, synthesis. And oh, so God. things are going to kind of – it's a Hegelian model where eventually we're going to get to some kind of a, a utopia where we've solved all the world's problems. And then Jesus is going to show up and say, okay, I'm king. With that model, I'd expect Darwin to show up. I mean, what, <laughs> what kind of thing is that? Yeah, I mean, boy, does that just miss the point. I mean, all over the pages of the New Testament, from the words of Jesus himself in, like, Matthew 24, the little apocalypse, things go from bad to worse to really bad. Right. And he calls them, what does he call them? Not death rows, birth pangs. That's right. They're birth pangs. They're not <laughs> death rows. Labor contractions. Yeah. The earth isn't dying. We're getting ready to give birth to a something really cool. <laughs> yeah, but it, but there really is a death, too. It's, yeah. it's, again, that theme of death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. So it's not transformation. It's dying and rising. Right. And you know, you know the irony is this is, this is the old medieval theology. The, the, old, the old idea that you're working up a ladder, that you're, you're gradually transforming either the individual or the culture or the world or whatever. This is the old medieval ladder-climbing business that the whole Reformation was about the first time around. Uh, but on a global scale now. <laughs> Think big. Yeah. <laughs> We're a global people now. Yeah. You know, right out of that, I don't know what your time frame is here, but uh, there's there's some there's some great stuff about the new papacy that just cracked. No, me yeah, up. I was flipping the pages here and it, we'll, we can we'll push the second break off a few minutes, but um it says at number 41, anyone who preaches a vision and demands allegiance to it sets up a new papacy among the churches. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, you know, we're, we're accustomed as good old Protestants to, to just, you know, you got a dong in the Pope once in a while and, 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 and that. But, but, you know, we, 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 we forget something, that, that the papacy, the essence of the papacy, what it is, uh, is not confined to, you know, this particular office in the Western Roman Church. Uh-huh. But, you know, it can pop up anywhere. And, and I think a lot of these, these charismatic-driven leaders, they are as much popes as any pope of the Roman Church ever was. So the, they're little mini-popes. Well, yeah, they have their own little 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 fiefdom, their little kingdom. But what do they do? They promulgate visions. Right. You know, when I look up the term vision in the Bible, the, a vision is something, it, it's, it's what, a, a, what a seer has, what a prophet has, and it's a word of God, and mm-hmm. you don't mess with the word of God. Right. So when somebody gets visionary on me, it's like, I, you know, I, I either creep out because, uh, you know, I'm being asked to accept this as the word of God, or I just got to walk the other way because this is this is you know this well, is just dangerous. Well, what I think is interesting is is that you have this really uh, bizarre hybrid of business concepts mixed with the church. And one of the things that happens in corporations, and they teach this at you know at, at business schools. I have an MBA from Pepperdine. Is you know is that CEOs need to be visionaries for their organizations, and so uh, many corporations have mission and vision statements. And what's happened is is that these practices have been adopted by these 
uh, purpose-driven guys because it's really a melding of business practices and the things that work in the market with the church. And so what happens is is uh, every January, a lot of these purpose-driven guys, the first sermon of, the, of each new year will be a recasting of the vision for the church that God has given the pastor. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm thinking, wow, is that business talk or is that profit talk? Because you know, it's, it, I'm glad you mentioned that because that does allow you to put um, a, a good construction on that. That is, that is, you know, when you have uh, church leaders, um, you know, promulgating visions, they're not necessarily claiming that God has spoken to them directly. But what you're saying is that they've, they've kind of picked up stuff from the MBA, the MBA crowd, mm-hmm. uh, which is a kind of, in our terms, left-hand kingdom stuff. But the trouble is, when, when a business guy says it, and I, I, was, in, I was in the world of, of uh, you know, in, in industrial science, and so, you know, we heard some of this, too. But when a business guy says it, nobody thinks anything religious about it. They think, you know, vision means a plan. Right. Or, you know, his, his goals. It, it's kind of like, well, he's the big dog, and so he kind of sets the, the, big, the big direction for us. But, but when you take that and you bring it into church circles where the language is tempered by the scriptures, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's a whole different weight associated with that. Yes. And so what happens is, is that uh, when they exercise church discipline in some of these congregations, uh, somebody will be shown the door if they uh, contradict or don't uh, unquestioningly go along with the pastor's vision for the congregation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay. It, uh, uh, the old papacy er- arrogated the church's treasury of merits. The new papacy arrogates the church's treasury. <laughs> at least, at least in the old papacy, they were they were worried about souls. Right. It was eternal things. <laughs> now it's just money. <laughs> yeah. The old papacy said, "As the coin in the coffer clings, so the soul from purgatory springs." The new papacy says, "As the coin in the church coffer clings, so another program out of debt springs." <laughs> That's brutal. Wow. <laughs> That's just brutal. Okay, so the old papacy counted plenary indulgences. The new papacy counts money and people. <laughs> Ouch. The old papacy suppressed the gospel through canon law. The new papacy suppresses the gospel through constitutions and bylaws. Yeah, that, 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 that hits too close to home for me <laughs> at that point. I'm, I'm getting a little uncomfortable now. But, uh, well, you know, you wonder sometimes uh, whether, whether, you know, and again, this is human institutions, left-hand kingdom stuff. But, boy, I tell you, what do we like to argue about in, in, in church circles is constitution and bylaws, even at, even at the congregational level. Right. Uh, people love to slum in that stuff. And, and uh, those, that stuff is all what I would call a left-handed servant of the right hand. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 you know uh, the church did great for, for I don't know how long without constitutions and bylaws. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, you know, you've got to have a little bit of organization. Uh, right. let's, be, let's be reasonable. But... but uh, but uh, um, when it suppresses the gospel, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of, it kind of, you know, comes over the gospel, you got a big problem on your hands. Right. I love this. The, the old papacy was a friend of Caesar. The new papacy, a friend of man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the old papacy bound a man's conscience for the sake of his wallet. The new papacy binds a man's wallet for the sake of his conscience. Now that's poetry in action, right? Yeah, there. that's beautiful. <laughs> But all of it kind of says the same thing, and it was the you know it's always been the charge with the tele guys, the televangelists, is that they were raking in tons of money, right, and and that they were using the gospel as a means to basically further the kingdom, build more buildings, and and basically fleece the sheep. Yep. And and unfortunately, I think that's that's swept into a lot of church institutions too. They've really become big money institutions. 
and you know the 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 prosperity preachers are shameless in the things that they do but i i many times i hear you know these these large mega churches they're just as guilty but they have kind of a lighter version of the me- of the message rather than saying you can name it and claim it and blab it and grab it and go and you know if you if you have enough faith god has to give you mercedes benz and a mansion on the hill but instead, it's it's you know if you do the if you apply these principles, then you'll have a more fulfilling career. It's the same focus. It's just it's not as blatantly uh, you know, tuned in towards prosperity. Or it can you know I've seen and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I've seen a sort of a a corporate prosperity. Um, you know, and this is where the church kind of becomes like an Amway. Uh, it's the Amway model of the church, right? You know, you know where the whole idea is. It's supposed to grow with this 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 exponential growth on a multi-level marketing kind of way, mm-hmm. and and even service church services kind of resemble these sort of Amway rallies where you want to whip the sales force into into a, a, a selling frenzy so that they can get out there and hit the pavement and uh, increase their numbers, and then every new disciple becomes another salesman in the scheme, right? And, you know, and, and then and the so, more you grow, the better your digs get, you know. Right. And so, so the people individually may not be prospering per se. And maybe even the pastor doesn't, doesn't, doesn't own anything and, 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 you know, just draws a modest income. But you have this campus, you know, with, with 20 acres of buildings and, and everything else. And, and that's kind of your monument. That, that's, that's, that's the prosperity. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of a corporate, uh, collective prosperity where you derive the satisfaction out of being associated with a winning organization. Right. Well, you, you should know, see Willow Creek. Holy cow. I mean, that, that building is ostentatious. I mean, they have this ginormous bookstore. They have this coffee house, this restaurant. I mean, I mean, really, it's, it's, it looks like a place that you could spend an entire Sunday afternoon just reclining and reading and, and enjoying the view from outside of this ginormous win, you know, the window that you have out under there. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Well, it's like any any uh, big time Orange County developer would be proud of such a, a venture, and in fact would probably worship there because they'd be very comfortable. You know, right. winners associating with winners. Yeah. And, and so, what do you do when you when you have a, a gospel proclamation that <laughs> you're all a bunch of losers <laughs> in the biggest loser of all? <laughs> right, <laughs> Jesus, the biggest loser. He died a criminal's death on a cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he lost his life. <laughs> In the quest to save the world, who okay? wants to and, be on his team? Jeez. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a there's a there's a winning team. But see, I I really think that that a, a lot of this um, prosperity thing can be transferred over into a a group identity, so that we want to be part of a prosperous, successful congregation. We want to be known in the neighborhood. You know, we want to be seen in in the in the community as 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 being a paradigm of success, and right. that will draw the successful and the beautiful. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's what we need. We need a successful and beautiful to come <laughs> commiserate with us. You know, we're going to well, take a great timekeeper and the owner of the station. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did, you know, I, I think before we before we close out, I don't know where we are in this, but um, I'm just paging ahead, and and I think the last few theses uh, are really good summary ones. Um, you well, know, we could we could spend a whole Reformation day kind of. I, no, I think we reforming could reforming the church. Yeah, <laughs> I I did before we got to the summary. I did want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about worship. Though in the seventies here on the on the ninety five thesis, it says that seventy two says worship is doctrine put into practice. Uh-huh. As one worships, so one believes. As one believes, so one worships. 
And then it says, Christian worship consists in God's service to us through his giving and our receiving in faith the gifts of Christ's word, body, blood, and our service to God by prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. Worship that is focused uh, that is focused principles for Christian living obscures the gospel of Jesus Christ and his gifts and is deter- detrimental to faith and salvation. Uh, this really seems like it's got a completely uh, opposite view of what worship is than what you you hear out there in American evangelicalism. Worship is uh, me making a sacrifice of praise or the things that I do. Uh, you know, to you know, to please God through my actions, so to speak. And this has got God being the one who's the primary mover in worship. Can you unpack that a little bit? Well, it. it, it I mean, this, these these are are really very Lutheran, and I think distinctively Lutheran um, uh, ways of saying things. Um, I, I think in the history of the church, perhaps uh, Christians did this without thinking about it, but I, I think Lutherans articulated it. You know, and that worship's a two way street. Uh-huh. Um, the worship that Luther knew was pri- primarily a one-way street. That yeah. is from a, us to God. You know, we were doing things. We were meriting. We were earning. We were sacrificing. Uh, in fact, the whole Lord's Supper was viewed as a sacrifice, mm-hmm. an offering. Um, and, uh, you know, American evangelicalism has done the same thing, that worship is primarily a sacrifice, us to God. Right. And then, and then, then it's been kicked up a notch or taken one step further now into... Into now, it's it's a performance-oriented sacrifice. So so you know you you are measuring your progress or you're you're seeking you know what the purpose-driven life is a sacrifice. It's it's basically a, a a road of sacrifice, which you know I mean in and of itself that's you know Bible says to present your bodies as living sacrifices. So we're not gonna not gonna say it's bad. But here's the problem: all of it neglects the other lane, <laughs> right? You know the God to us direction. Uh huh. And and that's really where the action is, because if there's no activity in the God to us, if we're not first receivers, we've got nothing to give. Right. Well, the thing is, I, I see a movement in evangelicalism where they do understand that there's something occurring in the other lane, but they've pretty much limited it to some kind of a liver shiver or some kind of an experience that's some kind of supernatural experience that you're supposed to get through a, the glory or the anointing or or some kind of a Pentecostal kind of thing. But they, you know, they they're not seeing it as word and sacrament. They're seeing it as some kind of uh, existential, spiritual. Plug yourself into, you know, stick your finger on the light socket and feel the jolt of God kind of thing. Yeah, that that could be. The, 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 they sense there's a lane there, but the, but there's there's actually no no vehicles on the lane. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> that, you just you just have to kind of lean in that direction. It it, the, it occurred to me while you were talking that that the the problem I think that that we have is that we think that or, or it seems to be that the culture thinks you 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 inhale once and then ever thereafter you exhale. <laughs> but but, but the, the biblical model of breathing <laughs> is a really good one to follow, or the metaphor of breathing is really a good thing to follow. When right. you breathe, there's a both and to it. Mm-hmm. And and you notice, if I'm going to say a word, which has to come first, an inhalation or an exhalation? Inhalation. <laughs> you bet. So no air in, nothing coming out. Uh, nothing from God going in, no prayer and praise coming out. Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Right. Uh, and and that's, that's why I think when you lose bead of, of what the church's inhalation looks like, you know, I, I think uh, Corby once said the church has emphysema. His <laughs> 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 lungs just ain't working. You know? Right. Um, but but it you know, just not taking in a good breath, and and that is to hear the word, 
hearing and keeping, keeping in the sense of believing, are the uh, are the, the, that's that's the, the the essence, the core of discipleship in in the Bible. And uh, um, all, when all the emphasis is on doing, it's like it's 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 like all exhaling. And you know what happens if I just keep exhaling? Uh, pretty soon, uh, yeah, you'll turn blue and fall. I'm over. out of gas. Yeah, you know, that's, that's right. I keep this up. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to keel over. Right. So uh, yeah, I think I think uh, and worship is a hot button issue today. I, I think. Um, yeah, it is, and I, I see it as as one of those issues that the the evangelicals are really striving to come up with some kind of a definition, but they're looking in within themselves for how to define it, and I, I don't really see them searching in the scriptures. What, what did Jesus say to that uh, Samaritan woman? Uh, that those who worship me shall worship me in spirit and in truth, and um, and and you know they. They think that they can have the spirit, the spiritual experience, without the truth that is associated with it. Good, yeah, no, that's right, that's right. As as if you one's divorced from the other, and then and then look through the look through the New Testament. Look, look at look at worship going on. Even in the Revelation, it's it's so concrete, mm-hmm. and it, it's you know things are happening. There, there's gatherings. There's 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 smoke of incense rising up. There's there's you know. There's the the Lord's Supper. There's preaching. These are all really concrete activities, right. and it, it's not some kind of uh, existential experience. Right. You got people on their face. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. A lot of times they're just flat prostrate on their face <laughs> in awe and fear. And... Right. Don't kill me. <laughs> you, know, you know. There's. It's, they they lose all that. What's funny is is that if you ask an evangelical what you know what worship is, about the only thing they can point to in the scriptures that they think would be worship would be well, uh, David danced before the ark naked. You know, <laughs> well, yeah, wife wasn't too keen on the idea either. Yeah, right. <laughs> Understandably, I would imagine, but and, and that wasn't really even that, that that had nothing to do with worship. <laughs> that had to do with bringing the ark back. <laughs> right. You know, that wasn't even in a, in a synagogue or church service. You know, he all right. So he's dancing before the Lord in in an ephod. I got you know, at least it says he had an ephod on. But you know, that's thank goodness he's got an ephod on. That's he, all I could say. But I, his wife was absolutely his wife was convinced that the maidens of Jerusalem had seen his manhood. So, <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's quite the opposite with the priest in in the in the tabernacle slash temple. Right, he's got this piles of vestments on. And it's it's made very clear that 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 he is covered to the hilt, including right. his head, and and he's not to look like the Baal priests and the temple prostitutes and all of that stuff. Right. You know that that you know he's he's covered to the nth degree, and and uh, uh, yeah, I have a feeling that that Baal has just kind of crept in in a new way. Well, Rosenblatt calls he says that uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll is uh, is you know pagan worship, and you know it's it's alive and well in, in evangelicalism. So uh, anyway. there is a there is uh, I don't know whether it's my dirty imagination, but there is a strong uh, I think sexual undertow in a lot of what passes as contemporary worship. Uh, no, I think you're right. I uh, and I think that gets smuggled in with the with the music uh, genre. Could be, you know, because I, I mean, quite frankly, you know, the the secular world understands what what rock and roll's for. You know, <laughs> it, well, you know, it, it's kind of funny to say that because I, I don't think I don't think sexual lu- the, the sexual lust button has ever been pushed in me by a Bach cantata. No, <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, I tell you, the, some, some of the elements of contemporary that are called contemporary worship really have um, it, if not a sensual. 
there's, there's a sensuality to them that, that if you kind of step back a little bit, uh, I think it's a little creepy. Right, and, it, right. It, it, they don't understand the, that it, in the Greek language there's four different words for love. And what happens is is that when you got this female lead singer up there and some backup you know, dancers on the stage saying, I love you, Lord, the, the, the Greek word there probably has slipped into eros. <laughs> Agape is not probably the front-running theme there. Exactly. You know, but, of course, we don't have those distinctions, so you just got this nagging thing going on inside of your head going, nah, something's not right here, and I can't put my finger on it. You know, the new 95 have a couple of statements like the, the, that kind of hint at that. It, it talks about um, peculiar and novel worship forms obscure the unity of the churches and extol the creativity of the worship leaders. Wow. Uh, which, you know, Luther said that in 1526 when he wrote his German Mass. You know, he said, everybody's writing new services. It's a scandal to the church. Uh, everybody's extolling their own creativity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and he wasn't... He, it's really hard to pin Luther down liturgically, which irritates some Lutherans, I think. But, but uh, this whole idea of drawing attention to your own creativity. Right. And I think this is what really bugs a lot of pastors, quite frankly, about liturgical worship, is, is that, that they, 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 they kind of lose a sense, they, they lose the opportunity to, quote, be themselves. Right. They, they realize that they have an office to fill. <laughs> yeah, they have to be an official. Right. And uh, what's funny is is that, you know, the, the creativity is one of the major themes at these, uh, at these purpose-driven conferences and seeker-sensitive conferences. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's funny is, is that, you know, you watch some of these guys' sermons and the videos they put together for their sermons and things like that. You're thinking what you're really looking at is somebody who really wanted to move to Hollywood and star in 90210, and somehow they, they, got, they got cut. And so now they've, they've found a new outlet. You know, they, they should have been a movie star, but they've decided they're going to be a pastor instead. <laughs> or I always wanted to work the soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> that thing still I confuses like, me. I, I like the praise band. You know, the garage band turned into praise band. You know, and and, right. and part of me, you know, I remember those days. I had a garage band, or at least I wanted, you know, some semblance of one. But garage bands really belong in garages. You right. know, there's a, there's a reason for that. Yeah. But um, there's a kind of a Lutheran one here, which I think is 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 sort of interesting. This is more in house to us. But I'd be curious about what your take on that. Which on number that. is it? Um, let's see. Oh, uh, ah, 83. Therefore, it is contrary to the doctrine of adiaphora. Adiaphora being, of course, things where Scripture is silent. Right. You know, neither commanded nor forbidden. You're kind of free here. But the, it's contrary to the doctrine of adiaphora to hide the substance of Lutheran doctrine behind a non-Lutheran style of worship. Huh. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to hit you with that one because because you're the you're the student of the non-Lutheran world. Right. Well, I would, I, my, my take on it is, is that, you know, here's the deal. Our confessions make it perfectly clear that there's no uh, traditions, there's no, there's no particular order of service or, or uh, whatever that are, you know, are somehow fallen from heaven that you have to follow. There's freedom in these things. The problem is, is that um, this, these contemporary styles follow a particular liturgy and they, they assume a particular theology, and that theology is not compatible with Lutheran theology, and I would say it, it, Christian theology, true biblical Christian theology, because it's 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 a, well as as these ninety five have pointed out, it's a theology of glory. It's it's something that undermines Christ and Him crucified. It 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 leaves the sinner unrepentant, uncontrite. It and so what happens is it, it, it it's these. 
these contemporary services in these styles that are being smuggled in do not uh, come uh, theologically neutral. They come theologically loaded. Well, you know, we kind of we were kind of hinting at that because because if if worship is a two way street like you and I were talking about, then if you don't buy that it is a two way street, or if you don't have kind of much of a clue as to what the God to us side looks like, right? Then whatever you sing or the words you make up to say are going to reflect that somehow. Right. So you get the, we worship you, we adore you, we praise you, we, 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 all the way home. Yeah. Fifth little piggy kind of That's right. approach, the liturgy. Uh, whereas if you are, um, you know, if you're tuned in to, to preached word, law, gospel, body and blood, baptism, that's also going to affect what you say and sing and, and, and do, too. Yeah. And so it... So, so that style is never neutral. I, I don't. You, that naughtiness came. I don't know. It, it, it's about twenty years old now. That that style substance uh, distinction, but but that has really gone to bad seed. I think finally amongst us. Well, and what's funny is is that you know I remember in college fighting this battle. You know, um, you know regarding worship styles and stuff like that. And what's funny is is that the the purpose driven seeker sensitive guys will say, oh, you just. You're just stuffy, and you uh, you you have a pro- God didn't ordain a particular style of worship, and so you're 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 just trying to make it so that you know people have to worship the way you feel comfortable, and that's not really it at all. It's just, no, we've seen now twenty years later that uh, that this these styles smuggle in just like a Trojan horse, you know, uh, you know, a belly full of Greeks, you know, it's just <laughs> something wrong here. Well, you know uh, the the, uh, the the whole idea of it, it, let me let me let me sort of backtrack a bit. The the um, I, I hear this from from colleagues who are really into to, to contemporary worship or pop worship or whatever it is, revival worship kind of thing. One of the charges is you liturgical guys. You know that's all you think about is worship. That's what, you know it, the, the, oh you know you saw in this liturgy and this worship. And here's the great irony: who spends more money and more time huh. messing with worship? Right. We don't. No, they do. It's all laid out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and really, uh, you know, ten minutes or so just to kind of, ten, you know, square up the hymns and make sure you got the ordinaries. I mean, there's a lot of time for, of course, uh, you know, studying texts and things like that. But, but in terms of what are we going to do, what are we going to do on Sunday, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty much laid out for us. Right. You know, just... <laughs> Man, if I had to reinvent this every Friday or, or whenever it's done, I mean, this, this would be all-consuming. You'd have to hire... Uh, full-time staff people just for worship. They do. Oh, they do. <laughs> That's <laughs> so exactly. They spend a lot of money at this. Yeah, too. they spend a lot of money. At it, but you should see their uh, their setups at, at Willow Creek. I I, I went to the. Um, I, I went. And, uh, this is kind of a confession. I went and saw Van Halen uh, when they uh, came back around in concert just this past year. You know, because David Lee Roth was the singer, and of course that was when I was a teenager. He was the sing- he was the lead singer, so it was. We always gravitate back to the music yeah. of our senior year in high school. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> but you know, I took Ron Hodel with me, Pastor Hodel, mm-hmm. and we were both kind of sitting there with our jaws on the floor, watching the people. You know, watching people in their forties and fifties trying to wear spandex again, and it just didn't work. It's embarrassing. Yeah, it really is terrible. But what's funny is is that I saw the road kit. You know, the the equipment for the that Van Halen brought with them on tour and when i got into willow creek i recognized a lot of the equipment the equipment they had at willow creek was the same and better than what van halen tours with <laughs> yeah. you know nothing that, but the best for the lord no kidding 
I'm thinking, good. Now, and it hurt. It, it hurt my ears just as much as the Van Halen concert did. I mean, my ears were ringing after they got done singing some of those Seven Eleven songs. But but see, I, I don't have a problem with investing in in worship. You know, we we always have a saying that that the best should be for for you know worship of the Lord, and, mm-hmm. and we're fine. But but I have a problem is the hypocrisy because. You know, I people say, well, it's just a, a waste of money to spend so much money on an, on an organ or a pipe organ, or or stained glass or decorating the church or or gold for the the chalice or something like that. And, right. You know, we should be worshiping humbly and simply. But boy, that soundboard is one heck of a soundboard, isn't it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And, and I know how much those 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 microphones cost a piece, and uh, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah, this is humble. <laughs> this, this is humble. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh my. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's uh, let's let's just we'll wrap this up. I mean, at the at the at the tail end of this here, you wanted you you wanted to go through some of the summary statements here, and and well, you know. I always read things backwards. I, I read magazines in the in the dentist office. I always read them from the back to the front. It's an old habit of mine from uh-huh. being a kid. I don't know why, but uh, uh, but I thought looking at this thing when I printed out, looking at it backwards to see where it ends. Um, there's there's some some direct quotes again. You know, it started with with the direct quote from Luther. It ends with some too. And I thought from ninety to ninety five is really a fitting way to kind of uh, put the uh, put the cap on this and go out and have some Wittenberg beer. You know? Right on. But the ninety woe to the false prophets who cry unity unity when there is no unity. That's right. Uh, again, woe to those who say peace peace when there is no peace. That's that's right. Who's that? Jeremiah, isn't it? Yeah. 92. Again, woe to those who say gospel, gospel, when there is no gospel. Yeah. Uh, 93. Blessed are those who say cross, cross, when there is no cross. Now, now that's actually, I looked that one up, and that actually is from Luther. Uh-huh. And, and, and I was trying to, because when I, I remember when I studied this, I thought, the, what the heck was Luther saying? Here it is again. But I think, here's how I understand that, is, is that, is that it is a blessing if somebody was to cry out cross where the cross is not heard. That's the point. Right. So blessed are those who say cross, cross, when there is no cross. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to say it. Yeah. Ninety-four Christians are to be exhorted that they be diligent in following Christ, their head through all suffering, death, and hell. Yep. And finally, 95, and I think this is straight out of Luther, thus be confident of entering heaven through many trials and tribulations, Oh yeah, rather than through the assurance of outward peace, unity, and happiness. That, that's kind of that's that's not Luther, but that's kind of in the spirit of the new ninety five, I think. Right, well, but that's it, theology of the cross. Yep, it absolutely is. And what's funny is, is that if if you know you're if you are a student of the New Testament, the and and the supposedly the pristine church that everyone's supposed that's trying to get back to, you know, that first century church that everyone appeals to, that was a time of heresy. It was a di- time of travail and trouble and. And and splits and schisms and you know it, it, from the beginning out of the shoot it was tough, right? You, you know why would we expect you know that our, our road would be you know paved with the with bricks of stone for a, a gold you know? Yeah, I think only a theology of glory would would just filter and deny all of that, right? And 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 say you know if we just uh, do these. 40 things or 613 things that the kingdom will be manifest among us and it'll and all will be right that 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 will and and really what we're saying is all all is right in christ and now you have to believe it right (laughs) repent and believe the good news ah there it is so well bill thank you for coming on the show today hey it was it was it was was fun and and uh my only regret is that traffic it didn't permit me to do this in person, right. so we could literally crack open some of that near Wittenberg <laughs> beer that you uh, produced in such such uh, 
wedding at Cana abundance. Right, of course. You know, and of course, you still haven't seen the FJ yet uh, up close and personal. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that almost uh, you know I, I, that was driving me. <laughs> I, I have to, but but then again, I didn't bring my camera, and and that 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 has to be a that has to be that has to be a sight to behold. Right. Well, uh, our guest today was the Reverend Bill Swirla from Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, co-host of the show here that airs on Pirate Christian Radio called The God Whispers. And today we've been talking about the new 95 Theses. And if you would like to read the new 95 Theses, you can find them online at fightingforthefaith.com. Or if you subscribe to the podcast, uh, it'll download uh, it, it, it. You can actually download it as part of the podcast in iTunes. So, uh, Bill, thank you very much for coming on. It's been fun being just a couple of peasants. There we go. Good old peasants. So there we've, we've done our duty. We've taken these off the door of the Internet and, and disseminated them now so that people can discuss these things. Strongly recommend that everyone take a, take a gander at these things and go and, and, and discuss them with your, with your buddies and your friends and in, in the, in the seeker-sensitive movements. And, uh, and we'll see if uh, God grants us yet another reformation. So, all right. Well, um, I'm going to, Bill, we're going to sign off. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. All right, folks. If you want to email me, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. In the meantime, happy Reformation Day, and God bless you on your weekend. We'll talk to you next next week. All right. Bye-bye.